Thanks, Richie. Hey, church, how are we going? Good, good to see you this long Labor weekend. No, Queen's birthday. Sorry, not Labor weekend. Queen's birthday. Queen. Great band. Good of her to have a birthday. Um, hey, um, just to commend those things to you, Shout Conference, if you haven't been before, you've got to get there. It is phenomenal, and uh, it just it puts church in a whole new light, uh, just to be in that space, um, and it will grow your faith. And the other thing that will grow your faith is giving. Um, so our, uh, every year we do a miracle offering, and uh, we'll talk, I'll talk to that in detail next week, uh, and you'll hear a clip from Pastor Sam. But to let you know, some of the things that will be happening through that offering, we'll be um, doing Revolution Tour again this year in uh, high schools, so we'll be going, giving towards that. Um, that's when we go and give a, uh, uh, we have a, a team that comes down from Auckland and brings um, messages into school assemblies. Um, we also have a a uh, couple of youth workers, 24-7 youth that we support, that will go towards that. We're going to give towards um, India. So we have a church in India, in Kolkata, and they are really doing it hard at the moment there. I don't know if you follow uh, what COVID is doing over there, but it is a bit, it's gone a bit cray-cray. And um, they are in, they're, put, they're doing an amazing job, and they are um, giving out a whole lot of um, packs uh, of food. And so we're going to give towards that as well. So, so your offering next week will go to building... The house here, but also um, the community here, and also the world. <laughs> like it's, we're, we're going beyond just ourselves. So encourage you to start praying about what you can give even now. Come prepared. Come with a with a number in mind, and then be prepared to double it next week after you hear what I share. Awesome, cool. So we're in a series called Our House, God's House, and uh, there's an incredible truth that when we put God's house first in our lives. He honors our house. And uh, I, I can testify to this. About four years ago, um, we were, I was sitting in the, in the front row here, and Pastor Tico, uh, who is currently planting Equipers Fiji, um, so he's over there and they're in a lockdown, unfortunately, at the moment. But he's already started that. Before that, they started having gatherings. They were having 50 people out. So um, they're, they're planning a church there. It's very exciting. But Pastor Tico was pastoring Equipers Christchurch, and uh, he was speaking here, and he was challenging us about believing for favor on our own life. And, and God dropped into my heart. See, I can believe for favor for my church. I can believe for favor for other people. But to believe for favor for my own life was a, I was like, oh, can I really believe that? And so we were preparing to have our fourth child, turned out to be our fourth daughter. And uh, we, were, we were quite happy where we were living. And, and God, I, I was, you know, we had a four-bedroom house and, and we were comfortable. And, and, but in that moment, in the front row, God just said, why don't you believe for a bigger house for you? And I was like, oh, oh okay. And so we went on a journey, and, and I, can, I can, yeah, it was, God was all over it. From that moment um, to the buying of that house, God just blessed us. And we, I still think, oh, I don't feel like we deserve the place we're in. And it's not a matter of deserving it, actually. It's just God's grace and his favor. And, and I mean, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a cool story. Ask me about it someday. But eventually what happened is we bought this house and the people who we bought the house off bought our house. Um, so we did a house swap. Uh, we threw some money their way. But we, uh, we did it. And God was all over it. And I was reflecting on that. 
just as we're thinking about our house, God's house. And if I hadn't have been, I think, in that place of, of loving God's house, of serving God's house, of seeking his house, then he wouldn't have been able to speak to me in that moment and bless me for my house. And, and I would never be in that situation. And I just think, man, that is, that is the heart of God. We don't serve him so we get stuff, so he blesses our house. But the upside of, of it is that he does. That when we put him first, it's, it's that passage in, uh, in Matthew that Jesus says, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you put him first in your life, then he will honor you in every other way. And, uh, and that is just an amazing story for us as a family to testify to that. But you don't have to be a pastor serving in the house of God to have that on your life. See, when you put God first, when you put his kingdom first in your life, he will honor you in that. And he will give into your world. And he will look after your kids. And he will look after your house. And he will look after your life when you put him first. So... I'm excited today to share with you. Um, last week we had uh, Richie share, and uh, I loved Richie's uh, message last week and the passion that he shared with. I can't be Richie, and I'm not going to try. Um, uh, but yeah, I want to honor him for, for what he brought. But, but two weeks ago, I brought a word around uh, the house, and I, and I said that we were three things. I don't know if you can remember, um, but I said that you're a brick. You're a limb and you're a brother or sister. And so they're all pictures of, um, of the house of God or elements of the house of God that I shared with you. Um, a brick, so you're like a living stone is the scripture. You're a limb, so we are part of the body of Christ. And your brother or sister, we're part of the family of God. And uh, today I want to look at three things again. But this time, three things we are together Three things that we are collectively, not you as individuals, because we are all in this together. We are the church together. And just like a, a limb, a brick or a limb or a sibling actually has no real meaning outside of a house or a body or a family, so, so you are not the church by yourself. You're only a part of the church as a part of us. We are designed for one another. And it's actually really pushing against the culture of our day, which says that, no, actually, it's all about your own self-individuation. It's all about you seeking your plans and purposes for your life. It's all about the individual uh, and, and achieving what you want to achieve in this world. And that's, that's often what the world tells us, that actually, we just got to seek our own purposes. And you be you is kind of the catchphrase. I don't know if you've heard that. And, and I get the, the idea of that is that we're all called to be individuals and, and it's dead right. God has created you just like he, just how he wants you. And you are an individual and you can't. And he's not calling you to be anybody else. But he is calling you to be someone in a body, in a community. We are designed for one another. We are called to be together. And it doesn't matter where you are from. It doesn't matter what ethnicity, what sex, what uh, socioeconomic background, what age, what, whatever it is that you want to divide people up by. It doesn't matter. You are called to be a part of 
the body. You're called to be a part of the church. And we've got to actually realize that and realize that I can't just be a brick. I can't just be a limb. I can't just be a, a, a sibling because those things by themselves are lifeless. They only are given life in the context of us. That brick is only useful if it's been built into a, a building. That limb is only useful if it's connected to the body. And a brother or sister is not a brother or sister unless they are part of a family. So we are collectively God's house. And I want to share today three images of us together that we are. So if you've got pen and paper or you're writing it electronically, here's the first thing, that we are together. We are a beautiful bride. I don't know, I, I didn't give you much warning, but there's a picture there, uh, Job, um, of, of my beautiful bride, um, and, and this, is, this is kind of what we're attaining for. I, I, I don't know um, if, it's, if you can actually pull it up there. I didn't embed it in my, um, in my background, in my um, PowerPoint. Uh, yeah, so you, you, you guys have got to look like that, all right? Okay? No. Yeah. No, I'm looking around, and you're just not quite there, um, but... And I know you're all thinking, how did he end up with that? But I don't know. The mystery is still to be solved. But, um, but we're called to be a beautiful bride. And there's nothing more beautiful than a bride on a wedding day, especially mine. And uh, when you think about a bride, you can go back to, man, I probably doesn't really want this to be there forever. Um, when you think about a bride, you think about several things. First, you think a bride is beautiful. I wanted these all to begin with P, so I've said a bride is pretty. But she's more than pretty. She's stunning. She's beautiful. She's pleasing, maybe, P. But there is something about a bride on her, on her wedding day that is beautiful. Revelations 19 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. There's like a, a purity and a beauty to the bride. And, and throughout the Bible, the bride is us, is the church. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are, collectively, we are the bride of Christ. Now, I was thinking about Beauty, and, and you know that phrase, that beauty is in the eye of the, sorry, beauty is in the eye of what? The beholder, yes. So who's the beholder of our beauty? Christ, because he is our bridegroom. So if we think about what is beautiful about us that Jesus is looking for, that's the question that we as the bride of Christ need to ask. What is beautiful in the eyes of my groom? And it's actually, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not actually hard. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, someone asked him what the, you know, the greatest commandments were. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's, it's how we love that makes us beautiful in God's eyes. It's how we love one another and we love those around us that is beautiful in the eyes of Jesus, our bridegroom. 
And so I guess I want to ask us that question today. How are we going with that? How are we going with just loving God and loving people? Because that is actually how beautiful we are. It's not how good our worship is, the lights, the, what we do on a Sunday morning, how good our hosting team is, how good the coffee is in the foyer. It's not how you know, much we give or what we do in, even in the community. It's how much we love. How are we going loving one another and loving God? Because that's what, in God's eyes, makes us beautiful. So the first thing a bride is, is she is beautiful. The second thing that she is, is she is prepared. Oh, she's prepared. I have been or seen behind the scenes of many a wedding, and I know that if there is one thing that a bride is on her wedding day, it is prepared, right? She has her nails done, her hair done, her makeup done, her dress done, her flowers, her bridesmaids, and she spends thousands, or someone spends thousands, possibly her parents, or I've got four daughters, please pray for me, or give to me after the service, either way, uh, I will receive donations, but, but uh, yeah, I haven't thought too much about that, um, but there's one thing, a bride is, she is prepared, and that's for one day, for one 24, not even 24 hour, that's for like a moment in time. How prepared are we as the bride of Christ? Not for just one day, but for all eternity. Because we don't know when the bridegroom is coming. That's the funny thing about this wedding. We don't know when the bridegroom turns up. You know, he might be a little bit fashionably late. Normally it's the bride who's rocking up late, let's be fair. Um, But we don't know. And, And we are told that we have to be ready. There's a, uh, a story in Matthew 25. I haven't got it up on the screen for you, but there's a parable of 10 virgins that Jesus tells. And five of them are prepared and five of them are not for the return of the bridegroom. And the, it's interesting that the, the sign that they are prepared is simply that their lamps are burning, that they have enough oil left in their lamps that they can light them and, and be ready for the return. And the ones who are not just don't have enough oil. Oil in the, whole, in, the, in, the, in the Bible talks of the Holy Spirit. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? That is your sign of preparedness in any moment is what, are you a vessel of the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with Him? Now that doesn't mean that you have to be doing signs and wonders and just performing, you know, raising people from the dead, left, right and center. But it does mean that you are in connection with God. There is, you're, you're filled with His Holy Spirit. You are hungering after Him. You are thirsty for Him. You are, and I know that that's hard to do every moment of every day. I get that. And I think that there's grace there. He's not like going to sweep in and go, oh, you weren't praying when I came. Um, but there is a sense that actually, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Is the oil flowing in our lives? Because our preparedness is seen in this. Our preparedness for the bridegroom is... Do we have the Holy Spirit? And we'll have a moment at the end of the service where I'm believing God's going to pour out His Spirit. He's going to do something and fill you afresh. But a bride is pleasing. She is prepared. And thirdly, she is pure. The bride is pure. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 says, I am jealous for you. This is Paul talking. Um, 
I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, there are so many distractions in our world today, right? And when we talk about the purity of the bride, we're really just talking about how, how focused are we? Or how distracted are we by the things of the world? I just listed a, a couple here. By, by politics. People just get off on their tangents going to the left or the right, red or blue, whatever. How distracted are we by, by money? By, by, achieve, by getting more money and more stuff and more things. By entertainment. Just filling our mind with stuff to numb the pain. Just our own agenda, seeking first our kingdom and what we want. Or maybe it's even something good like family or career or whatever it is. We fill our, our lives with other stuff that distracts us. And just as Eve was deceived, our, we are led astray and we just get distracted. You see, there's a, there's a purity, there's a holiness to a bride, that she keeps herself for the bridegroom. She keeps herself free from the distractions of the world. And I think there's a holiness to it. Something that often we lose as a church, there's a holiness to our readiness for God. We are wholly dedicated to Him. Our lives are a living sacrifice to Him. And we lose that sometimes just in our busyness, and our distractedness and the bombarding of the world, we just lose that, that purity of, of purpose. That we are gods and we're called to live for him. So we're a bride. Together we are the bride of Christ. We have a purity of purpose. We are being prepared for him. We are pleasing in his eyes because of the love that we have for one another. We are the bride of Christ. Okay, you got the first one? We're the bride. Number two, second image I want to use today that describes us as the house of God is that we are a flock. We're a flock. We are sheep. Turn to your neighbor and say, meh. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Oh, you're very good. Uh, see, Jesus in, in John 10 uh, there's a whole passage here, 1 to 18, and it gets a little confusing because he talks about how he is the gate for the sheep, but he's also the shepherd. He's both those things. Um, but in John 10, 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, I have other sheep. That are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And if you want to go, go away and read Ezekiel 34. There's some beautiful imagery of, of God being a shepherd to his sheep. Or Isaiah 40. That it's not just in Jesus' teaching. But there's an image throughout the Bible of of the people of Israel and us being the sheep of his sheepfold. We are his flock. And I love this imagery because of the simplicity of it, but also because the onus is on God. He's the shepherd. 
We're just sheep. And sheep are pretty dumb. <laughs> sheep are pretty simple. And it almost gives us permission to kind of be a bit dumb. Not that we just walk around being stupid, but we don't have to prove anything to God. We don't have to prove our sheepiness <laughs> to the shepherd. We don't have to achieve sheepy things to, to be sheep. We just are sheep. And you know what? There are two things that, that Jesus outlines that sheep have to do, and they're very simple. One, know the voice of the shepherd. Know the voice of your shepherd. And number two, follow it. <laughs> know it, recognize it, and then do what it says. That's all that a sheep has to do. That's all that we are collectively called to do. It's very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. Because how many of you know to do something collectively it can be hard because we're all people and we all got our own ideas. And to hear something collectively can be difficult. But you see, God is not just, he's not just your shepherd. You know, Psalm 23, I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the waters. All that, that's true for you, but it's also true for us collectively. He is our shepherd. He's, he's leading us all. And, and, and I don't know if you've seen the dynamics of sheep in a flock, but yeah, they are dumb. Uh, I've, got, I've got three sheep. I had five until a couple weeks ago. And now I have a freezer full of lamb. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe I'm not the best example of a good shepherd, but that's what they're for, okay? That's what my lambs are for. My children disagree. They named them. <laughs> uh, we still have the very fr friendly one. Um, we, couldn't, we couldn't get rid of that one. <sighs> but the other two, yeah, uh, lambs are gone. Anyway, sheep are dumb. They're easily spooked. They... they <laughs> You spook one, and, and then all the others will just follow them. They're like, what? Ah! <laughs> because you're all running, I will run too. And I think I think about this, and I think about the church, and I go, oh, we're not that different sometimes. I, I, you know, sometimes I, I see people, and they're making dumb decisions, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh, that person's doing that. And you're just following them. One of the best definitions I've heard of a leader is actually just to be a non-anxious presence. Definition of a leader is to be a non-anxious presence. When everyone else is panicking, when everyone else is losing their head, when, when things are uncertain, just to be that person that goes, no, it's okay. This is what we're going to do. Just stay calm. Is often great leadership. And I think actually we need to be sheep like that. Not sheep that go, ah, ah, but just go, no, hey, guess what? It's okay. In this crazy times that we live in, it's okay. God is in control. I'm following this shepherd. Why don't you follow him with me? Don't run off in the opposite direction. Don't do crazy things because you see other people doing crazy things. Stay close to the shepherd. And stay close to sheep that stay close to the shepherd. You will know who those sheep in your life are. You will know who those people are. They are, they are level-headed. They are of sound mind. They are, they are wise. They carry something of the presence of God with them. And you know that when they are making these decisions, when they are following this path, then it's probably a wise thing to do. 
And I think we collectively need to be sheep to one another where we are just, hey, I'm following this shepherd. Follow him with me. Because we are the flock. We are his flock. Is that good? Okay, so we are, we are what? First of all, we are the bride of Christ. Secondly, we are the flock. And thirdly, we are the temple. We are the temple of God. As God's people, as God's house, we are actually built into a temple. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says this, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For we are the temple of the living God. It's interesting that we are the temple. See, another verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul says, You are the temple of God. Your body is a temple. Some of us are more templish bodies than others. But uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's a little bit confusing. What is it, Paul? Is it, is it me individually or is it us collectively that is the temple? And the truth is that it's both. That you both contain the Holy Spirit within you, but collectively we have something more of the, the, the power of God. We are the temple. 1 Corinthians three, sixteen and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. We together are the temple of God. Now, it's a big concept and I'm not going to go too in-depth with it today, but essentially there's, a, been, there's an image of the temple flowing throughout uh, Old Testament and New. In the very beginning, the Garden of Eden was essentially like a temple. The temple is, this, is just the place where, where, where heaven and earth meet, where there's like a liminal gap is very small between between the supernatural and the natural, where, where God comes and is present. And in, in the Garden of Eden was like that. God walked with Adam and Eve. He was right there. And so in, in many ways, there was, that was the temple. That was that space. But then, as we know, there was the fall, and, and we are cast out of that temple, out of that Garden of Eden. And so then, throughout the Old Testament, the, the people of God are trying to earn their way back, obeying the law. And they make like a, basically the tabernacle is, a, is like a tent temple. Um, it's a movable temple where they, they kind of do sacrifices and they try and appease God. And there's that space there. And then King David um, gets a whole lot of money. And then King Solomon builds an actual bricks and mortar temple temporarily because then it gets torn down and they build it again and then it gets torn down. Um, but there's, a, there's a, a physical temple there. But of course, all these kind of temples, they're all harking towards a greater temple. Till one day, we all will be in the presence of God. The new Jerusalem, the new earth, there is a, a final kind of temple where actually we see God face to face. But until that point, there's like a there's an in-between. 
And when Jesus came, he kind of instigated a new way where there's a, we become the temple. Actually, you and I just together, wherever we are, we don't need a building. We don't need to uh, offer up these sacrifices. We don't need to do anything. We become the temple just wherever we are together. Matthew 18, 20, many of you will have heard this. It says, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus speaking. So when we gather together, Jesus is here. And where Jesus is present with us, that's essentially the temple. That is where we worship. So the temple is wherever we're gathered. That is God's house. This is God's house today. But it's more than just a house. You know, there's a reason God didn't just say you're being built together into a house. He said you're being built together into a temple. Ephesians 2, 19 says, and 20 to 21 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That's so cool. We are being built together to be a dwelling where God is. And it's a tabernacle. It's a temple. It's more than just a house. Back in Dunedin when I was at university, our pastor there used to talk about how, how the, the auditorium was kind of like our living room. This is our space where we gather together. And I get that. That is true, that, that this is home. This is our house. And you should feel welcome in this space. But it's, there's something more. It's not just your living room. It's also there's a holiness to it. There's a sense of the sacredness of us coming together in this moment. And I just want to invite the band up um, now because we're going we're gonna to have a time of ministry. But I just want you to think about the, there's, no, there's no single way that we create a sacred space. And different denominations over hundreds, thousands of years have done things differently to create that sense of sacredness. Some denominations have built amazing um, Gothic cathedrals. Some will wave bells and smells, and some will use lights and music. And there's so many different ways. And there there are rituals. We had one this morning in communion. There are things that we do together, worship, even the preaching of the word. Altar calls, those, all those kind of things are like rituals that we do that create a sacredness around the space. But there's something, something intangible in this space, in this moment when we come together that, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. I don't think we're supposed to be able to. There's a mystery to it because there's a mystery to how God works in our world. But there's a beauty to it as well. This is the temple of God. You know, what I'm sitting in an auditorium in Craighead School, that doesn't make sense. It's not about, we could be sitting in the middle of a paddock. It wouldn't matter. It's the people of God 
coming together in this moment. And the beautiful thing about the New Testament temple, see, in the Old Testament, that you had priests. You had people who did the stuff. So they offered up the sacrifices. They set up the tent. They did all the stuff that needed. They killed all the animals. And there was lots of killing of animals. Um, it was messy stuff. But you see, they, in the Old Testament, that's how it happened. But in the New Testament, you have the pastor and he does all those things. No, you don't. I tricked you. You are the ministers. You are the priests. Get this, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Who? You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We are the priesthood. You don't have to be ordained in a, in a, in a denomination to be a minister. We are all called to be. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. And hence the term equippers, that's what we're about. It's to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Anybody there? Yes. Didn't think so. We're st- so it's still a work in progress. I love that the New King James Version translates verse 12. It says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So my job is just to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. We all minister in the temple of God. We minister here to one another, and we go out and we minister into the world around us. Sometimes we've got a bit too focused on that, our house. This is what we. This is ministry on a Sunday. Actually, ministry is what you do throughout your week. When you're, when you're encouraging someone in your workplace, when you're offering to pray for someone, when you're loving someone and being generous to someone, when you're letting someone in in traffic, whatever it is that you are doing, you are ministering in that space. But there's a, there, there is something special, though, about ministry in the temple, in His house, here. And I want to tap into that this morning for us. And what this looks like, it doesn't look like me ministering to all of you because there's one of me, 50-something of you, and that's not going to work. But, and I don't want to, I want to recognize that for some of you this will be hard, but actually I think this is very scriptural and I think sometimes hard is good. <laughs> but I want us to do some ministry today and, and, and I, want to, I want to kind of demystify for you what ministry is as well. Ministry is simply serving. To minister to someone is to serve them. And I've met, I've not met many people who cannot serve. I've met a few people who will not serve, but I've not met many people who can't serve another person. We can all serve. And therefore, we can all have a ministry to one another. And actually, when church is functioning like it's supposed to, we are all serving one another. 
It's an outpost of heaven. It's a display to the world around us. So what? Wow, these people actually care for each other. These people really love each other. These people are, are making sure that no one's left behind. They're, they're, they're actually loving one another in a tangible way. So why don't you stand to your feet? I wonder, I wonder if we could activate something here this morning in us. I'm going to ask you to do something which is, you're getting a little bit nervous, and that's okay. <laughs> if you could activate some faith. Some of you may be a bit of a step out of our comfort zone, but I actually think that's healthy. I want us to minister to someone nearby. And I don't just want you to minister to someone that is your spouse or that you're related to or that you came here with, okay? Not just that person. But I want you to just in twos or threes, just pray with someone. I'll give you 30 seconds and you can maybe say what you'd like prayer for in your world. So I'll make it a little bit easy for you. You don't have to like prophesy it all out. <laughs> you can... You can say, but I don't want you to just spend this whole time talking to that person. No, no, we're going we're gonna to minister to one another in this space. We're going to activate. And I, I pray, my prayer is that you will activate faith and you will have a prophetic word for them. You will be able to lay hands on them and see them healed. You will be able to see a breakthrough in their world because this is a faith environment. This is the temple of God. And there is faith here for God to do what only God can do in our midst. So why don't you gather groups of two or three. I recognize some of you might not know each other. You might be a visitor here. This is outside of your comfort zone. I apologize for that, but I still want you to do it. Because this is what we are about as Christians. We are called to minister to one another. So gather around. Gather around. Go do it. Go say hello. Introduce yourself if you need to. And you've got 30 seconds to say Hey, I need some prayer for this. This is what I would like you to pray for. And if you don't have anything, that's okay. You can, the other person will just pray. 30 seconds, then I'm going to tell you to pray, okay? Introduce yourself. Okay, should all be praying now? No more introductions. Let's pray for one another.
couple more minutes. be finishing up next 30 seconds as you gather back around. There's, uh, there's one more group of people that I want to, to speak to. Hey, how was that? How was that? Praying for one another? Was it good? Yeah. Hey, look, it's not hard. We can, we can minister to one another. And in fact, we're called to. And um, that's what I love about my e-group, actually, is every week I've got people praying for me laying hands on me, believing for me. I can bring my issues and the things that I'm struggling with in the week in my life. And I know that there's a bunch of guys that are going to pray for me and uh, believe and stand with me to see change. And I uh, encourage you, if you want to have that kind of support, jump into an e-group. We've got new ones starting every week. We've got a new one starting. I think Narisha and Martina are starting one Monday mornings, 11 a.m., I know uh, Liesl's got one happening on a Thursday at 4 p.m. We've got a number of them happening in the evenings as well. And, uh, I've, and I've also said, hey, if you want to start an e-group, if there isn't one that suits you, you can start one. Just gather a bunch of people together and you can start a, a gathering. Um, that'll be awesome. Hey, there's just one more group of people that I want us to pray for. And that's if you're here today and you haven't given your heart to Christ. So maybe you've done it in the past. Um, but you recognize that you've walked away or maybe you've never done this. And this whole idea of uh, a church that's, you know, a bride and a, um, a flock and a temple is all just a bit weird. Um, that's okay. The gospel is actually incredibly simple. We have a creator that loves us. He calls us into relationship with him. Unfortunately, we as human kind broke that and we turned away from him. But he sent his son Jesus to restore that relationship. He died on the cross and rose again so that we could have relationship with God. All we need to do is actually just say, Jesus, I receive your free gift of forgiveness that you paid the price of my sin on the cross for. And and you can have relationship. And that's the beginning of a relationship with God. So just with every eye closed or head bowed here this morning, if you're here and you think, man, I, I, I want that relationship with God. I've felt something in this place of the holiness of God and I don't know what it is, but I know that I need it in my life. Or maybe you've, you've known in the past, but you've walked away. And today you're coming home. If that's you here this morning, just raise your hand. I'll see it 
and you can put it down and then we will pray together. Is there anybody here you want to do that? I'll give you a couple moments. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands. So that's cool. You can raise your eyes. Look at me again. Hey, be blessed, church.